Welcome to Grab Life Big. Grab Life Big. The exclusive podcast for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic life. Or as a few of us say, badass rich guys who do epic shit. And now, your host, Pat Hybin. Okay, go Bundes Brothers, it's time to grab a life big. And put your money where your mouth is and get signed up for some bucket list adventures in 2017. Here's the BLR, Bucket List Rundown. Indeed, Mr. Smeed, the first thing we got going up is Snowwater, British Columbia, hella skiing. The guys that went last year said it was unbelievable freaking real unreal march 15th to 20th snow water british columbia then we got a champions only couples trip if you are a champion which by the way is five million net worth is it five? yeah i believe five million net worth above napa valley with your wife napa valley wine tasting with your wife april 20th 23rd then what I got, uh, I also got another champion self-reliance trip, which is uh, hiking the Appalachian Trail at the very last uh, five or six days of it, Mount Katahdin. That's in Bangor, Maine on June 7th through the 11th. Then we got August 17th to 22nd, we got a special fan abundance, Jackson Hole, Wyoming Solar Eclipse. Bring your kids and let them learn about the solar system. More specifically, the solar eclipse that's going to take place and uh, they may never see it again. You may never see it again in your lifetime. Solar eclipse is going to happen on Jackson Hole, August 17th to 22nd. Then we have South Africa, baby. Yes, South Africa. Man, that is bucket list item crazy. You got like seven or six or seven bucket list items on there. Swimming with the sharks. Of course, safari. The volunteering in, in Cape Town, in the ghettos of Cape Town. Just incredible trip planned on that. Uh, September 24th through October 4th. And we're working on a, a the end part of that, adding a uh, couples. If you want to have your wife fly down or your girlfriend fly down for the end part of that and a little special thing on the end, we got that working too. And then, of course, we got the GoBundance Elite Couples Trip in Placencia, Belize, in uh, a really nice, uh, probably a key, right, uh, off of Belize, in Belize, an amazing couple's trip that I, I heard amazing things. A lot of people last year said it was the best trip they've ever been on. So that is uh, November 4th through 11th. Any of these you want to sign up for, you know, reach out to Melanie and just let Melanie know, you know, you're in and she'll collect your money or uh, shoot you in the right direction. So uh, thanks, guys, and uh, enjoy the show. Grab life big. Grab life big. Go abundance, brothers. I'm going to say this name before I forget it. Amucha Steggy. Amucha Steggy. I got Aaron Amucha Steggy on the line, and he is an incredible Go abundance brother. We're going to get to know today so without further ado let's grab some life big and get to know aaron what's up hey good morning man glad to be here aaron why don't you give our gobundance brotherhood the five minute life story of aaron amucha steggy from the day you were born till today 
I, I love that, trying to summarize your whole life in, uh, in five minutes. So, the, um, so I, uh, I, I live out in Northern California. I was born and raised in Southern Oregon. So, the, so I used to be from a small town called Klamath Falls, so you know, small elementary schools, small high school. I mean, you know, 500-ish people in our high school, I bet. The, and so I was, I was living in Southern Oregon. I uh, grew up, had a, had a full family, great stuff going on up there. And um, you know, once I got out of, out of high school, I got myself into a bit, a bit of trouble, you know, so didn't really uh, start experiencing life that great. And so um, you what, know, had what, kind what, of, what happened? Did you get sent to jail? The, I did. The, uh, you know, I was so right out of school, I was I was like voted most likely to succeed. So I was going to University of Oregon, school of architecture, doing really good. But then I coming from a small town to get, you know, to start looking at some other stuff. I, all of a sudden, I got really caught up in like life and having fun and partying and 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 all sorts of stuff. So so at twenty, I got in, I got in really a ton of trouble, and I ended up having to go to to prison in Southern California for like almost two years. Jesus um, Christ! Yes, it was, it was it was absolutely crazy for for a guy like me to be coming from that and get too caught up in the party world, and so. Um, so, yeah, so let, me, then, let, let me ask you a question, Aaron. If you don't want to get too deep on this, you don't have to. But what the fuck did you do? Yeah, the you know it, it, it's it's cool. It's okay. So the so what I the charge that I have on my record is, uh, and and most people it'll it'll blow them away because in my professional life it's it's late history. But so my charge is armed bank robbery, um, which is absolutely crazy. And really, what it came down to was the I me and some me and some guys the. Uh, you know, it was kind of on a dare and on a bet. A, a buddy of mine had owed me some money, and I was giving him a hard time about it. And he said, "Here, let's drive over to to this bank, and I'll go get you your money." And I, I thought he was bluffing. We thought we were tough kids. I said, "All right, let's go over there." And the and you know, thinking the whole time he's not going to do anything, and then he and then he did. He jumps back in the car, and he's like, "Holy cow!" And so the long story short was later that night, I I, I turned myself in. Because we had realized we had gotten ourselves into way over our head, and uh, and yeah, told everybody, you know, kind of confessed to what had happened. Um, you know, originally had been told that I wasn't going to have to do any jail time uh, because you know because of the way that it worked out, and then uh, the feds came in and said, "No, you're you're a guy from a small town. We're not going to let you get away with that deal." So so I ended up getting indicted by the the, the feds instead. So. As a small twenty-year-old kid that hadn't really experienced any life, then getting sent to prison in Southern California for a couple of years, man, what a reset uh, to to change who I was in my life. What, what happened to the other guy? The yeah, he went to prison for four or five years. So really, yeah. and so you know, in in hindsight, you know, watching television and all that stuff, if you had lawyered up, you probably wouldn't have had to do any time, right? I mean, you would have been able to sell yes. him out as the driver, and then and. and like if you'd done it right, then yeah, yeah. If I if I had done it right, I wouldn't have really or or really. I mean, if we if my first attorney would have even gotten in writing because they first said, hey, if you confess, you won't do any time. And the and so and we didn't. If my first attorney would have got that in writing from the DA instead of it being a, a handshake deal, then I wouldn't have done any time either. And but the but your, yeah, were, I mean, your that were your parents involved, or were you trying to do all this on your own? The reason, the only reason I got a lawyer is because my dad sent an attorney down for me. Like he, he knew I was in more trouble than I knew I was in at first. And so when I first started talking to him, then he had, he had gotten an attorney for me. But at the same time, you're, 
you know, it, it, it's a weird experience because you're not really wanting to tell your parents the whole truth, right? And the whole key of, of uh, if you ever get in trouble is you have to be able to tell your attorney the whole truth so they can help you write or your family the whole truth so they can help you write. But if you're making bad decisions, that's hard. So the, what a, yeah, what, what definitely a shame. Kind of what, and so what was, you went to federal prison, right? Yeah, I went to federal prison. What was that like? That was crazy. I mean, and, and it really wasn't as, it, it probably wasn't as bad as, as stuff that was on TV, but for a kid like me that was a really small young guy, you know, from a small town in Southern Oregon, which is not a very diverse place to get moved down to, to Southern California into something like that. It was just a crazy eye-opening experience. And so, um, you know, so when, when you're there, I mean, it's very, um, you know, it, it's very diverse. I ended up uh, doing all sorts of different things there to t kind of stay active. And that's how I kind of got my life really focused for what I wanted to do next. So if you spend a couple years not being able to do anything, you know, you're taking classes, you're exercising, you're trying to like get ready for life. Um, that was how I spent most of my, most of my time uh, there. And then I also, you know, taught, uh, you know, I, I, I taught uh, GED classes, so I had a bunch of students, and so that ended up being where I really ended up uh, helping fit in. So I had these guys that were my students that were kind of these giant guys, and so whenever um, anything would uh, go crazy, so whenever there were riots and things like that, I, my students would always come look out for me. So even though I was the smallest guy in there, the uh, you know because I was helping these other guys, they ended up really you know helping make sure nothing bad ever happened to me. Hmm. So they kind of protected you. So you didn't need to join a gang and it wasn't like, it's not like the state prisons where you're separated by race and separated by, you know what I mean? But there's mass separation in the different gangs and stuff like that. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't quite that intense. I mean, there was a little bit of that, but the, um, but it was a lot more open than that. It was, it was considered a low security. So even though we saw some race riots and some things like that, it was still, not nearly as bad as uh, the stories and stuff I've heard. Now, was your partner, your, your buddy, did he go to the same jail? No, he, we, they, we got separated, so he had to go somewhere on the East Coast. And so, now, just out of curiosity, now, did, did he, like, brandish a, a big fucking gun and shit when he did this and, and like, like, caught him on camera without a mask? I mean, like, what happened? Yeah, no, he, 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 uh, he wore a mask and he had a gun when he went in there. Okay. And he... Um, you know, but it was so. It, really, if, uh, if if we hadn't thought, you know, again, if we were we weren't smart criminal guys, right? <laughs> so, so it was a little more than a joke. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he had a real gun. He wasn't like he had a fucking. Um, it wasn't like he had a squirt pistol and a yes, and that's a, and, true. And a right. President like, Nixon but mask. Coming right? from, <laughs> but but coming from a small town in Oregon, the having a gun is kind of a normal thing once you're 18. Like it's kind of like one of those places where the you know, the city limits are so small, you can just go fire guns in your backyard in half the town, and it's not a big deal. So your target, so the, but yes, but, but I mean, but for all intents and purposes, real deal. By the time he, he got out of the car, he put on a ski mask, he walked in with a gun, and, okay. and it was, uh, and it was the real deal. It was, right. you know, I mean, it was bad news. It was bad news. <laughs> all right, so the past does not equal the future, right? You put, you, you're two years in the sin bin, you get out, and then what happens? Yeah, so the so after having like two years of not being able to do anything along the way, I figured out what I really wanted to to do. So my dad was a was a home builder in, in Oregon, and I started studying construction management. So I found a school down in San Luis Obispo, uh, Cal Poly, and it was rated really highly for construction management. So um, I got approved to go to school down there. My plan was go to Cal Poly, get a degree, and come back and help my dad run his business. 
you know, and being now I was 23 going back to college. And so the advantage of that was I was paying for my own school. Every time I walked into class, I knew I was paying a hundred bucks to get there. And so the, I was really, uh, I was really trying to, to get the most out of it. So I did, I did really well as a student, you know, while we were there, I ended up winning some national championships and some home building stuff, you know, first time Cal Poly had won and they'd won a couple years in a row when I was doing it. So that got me all this attention nationally from these big home builders at the time. And so I originally thought I was going to go to California for a year or two, then move back to Southern Oregon. And then I found out that compared to uh, small town Oregon, California was like the land of milk and honey. So the, uh, as soon as I started to have these opportunities in the new home building world, um, I decided I wanted to stay in California. I got to work for a, a privately owned home builder. And, um, and really, it was like by the time I graduated, I was you know, kind of running operations for the Southern California deal. It was the height of the housing boom. So our houses were selling like hotcakes. We were golfing two or three days a week. Life was like really awesome. And I expect, so I went from this low, low to like really pushing myself to then got like the best job possible, you know, was working, was doing really well. And, uh, and then like 2007, 2008, the housing market started to crash in California. And that was our, that was kind of our, 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 our big awakening. So instead of having, you know, this company that was running in three states, they had to lay off 75 people, shut down Arizona, shut down California. And there was only about five of us left. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that says a lot. Number one, that you went from, you know, you made 70 cuts. So yeah. you were a valuable employee. If you make 70 cuts out of 75, I mean, you're, you're, one, of the, you're the one of the most valuable people, the, the top five valuable people. Okay, keep going. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that really was part of it. I mean, the guys that were left were the, were the three owners and, uh, and the president of California and me. And the, that big, crazy rude awakening is we went from being this giant company where we're golfing three days a week so then we're doing manual labor. So me and a couple of the guys were like driving from California down to Los Banos to go do the trash outs and the final details of these last homes because we had worked, you know, they had worked out a bank workout as long as we could finish these houses and deliver them, you know, they wouldn't have to file bankruptcy. And, and this was a new home builder, right? Yeah, this was a new home builder. Okay. All right. So yeah, I went from living high on the hog to... Uh, and then what happened? Did they end up going bankrupt? Didn't have to go bankrupt. I mean, what it ended up happening was we kind of built our way out of it, where they 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 made you know they made some deals, kind of like short selling mm-hmm. um, the the stuff. And so by the end of uh, by beginning of two thousand nine, most of that had gotten cleaned up, and we started trying to figure out what, what else we were going to do. So started mm-hmm. looking at commercial stuff. And you know, near the end of two thousand nine, we had tried to start like seven or eight different businesses. And had uh, and started discovering courthouse step auctions. What do you mean? Is this the same people, or did did you bail from them and go with some other guys? The beginning of two thousand nine was with them, you know, and then the end of two thousand nine was when I decided to start my own business. Okay, and leave. Yeah. So the we we discovered courthouse step stuff. Um, My second daughter was born like six weeks premature, so I, I remember that moment of when I was standing in the hospital looking at her in the incubator. And just going, hey, I'm working way too hard. My wife was working nights at the casino as a waitress because we had taken these huge pay cuts as we were trying different things. And I knew that was kind of my moment to to quit my job, start pursuing it on my own, and trying to provide better for my family again. So, so then ended up, uh, you know, flipped a house, flipped another house. It was I had six weeks of savings when I quit my job. Uh, the next six weeks, I didn't buy a single house, and I came to my wife and said, hey, I'm going to have to go apply for another job. This isn't going to work. Start my business uh, if I don't buy a house this week, 
And then uh, <laughs> because you could qualify for the loan, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, hey, if, if we had tried for six weeks and it didn't work, so it was like, hey, if I don't buy one this week. Um, I made a mistake and I got to go find a job and thank goodness this foreclosure moratorium got lifted that next week. I bought two houses and, uh, and it was kind of like, Oh, right I see. I see. Cause you needed the, okay. So you quit your other job. You had six weeks of, of, of money left. Qu- quick question. Mm-hmm. How much money did you make while you were playing golf? And, and, you know, from the time you got out of jail to the time that the market to the time this, you only had six weeks left. How much money did you blow through? Yeah, so the so when I was an employee, I was making about 120 grand a year, and, and we were working two or three days. And then after the crash and the cuts, we got our pay cuts down to about 60 grand a year. All right. So it wasn't like you blew millions, right? You just right. you just didn't save anything. You saved six weeks, and then you said, okay, um, I got six weeks. So you finally get to buy a house. You buy two houses to flip. You flip them, you make some money, and then now you've created this massive flipping business. That's what you do today. Yeah, now that, that's what I do today. It was we we found some you know some guy. I found some investors after that. My dad was my first investor. We done a couple houses. Found some investors after that, and really scaled the business up. You know, and we had and, and it was a couple you know ebbs and flows. Up to 2013, we had flipped a thousand houses. By that time, we had made a ton of money. Um, everything had worked out really well. We were mostly in Northern California. We were one of the bigger flippers, I think. Um, and then in 2013, uh, 2014, that's when a lot of people started getting into the courthouse step stuff. And, um, I ended up losing pretty much all my savings again that year. And that year we did lose, you know, over a million dollars of of my wife and I. So, and what year was this? So that was between 2013 and 2014. And so what happened? I mean, just... I mean, yeah, that, that wasn't market driven, right? You just what happened there? Like, it, yeah, the interesting is it wasn't actually losing on property. So to build up my business, I had, you know, I didn't learn the lessons of uh, that I should have learned when we shut down the home builder. Was I had a lot of heavy overhead, so I had a lot of employees, a lot of company cars. So to attend auction every day, they had to go. Everybody had a million dollars worth of cashier's checks. Everybody had a company car. Everybody had salaries and health insurance and these really good benefits. And what ended up, so it was really expensive to run a business to go buy houses at auction. When we were buying 30 houses a month and capturing the commission when we'd sell them and capturing the profit, that was easy. But that year, all of a sudden, we had a whole bunch of competition. So a lot of people were bidding on houses at auction. So we could no longer buy houses. So my overhead is what killed us that year. And I kept, uh, I didn't cut cut and run soon enough. I kept wanting to go, hey, next month it's going to get better. Next month it's going to get better. So I kept everybody employed, even though I wasn't making any money. And I wasn't keeping good track of my cash flow. And at the end of uh, that year, I mean, essentially looked at it. Uh, we, my wife and I bought a house. And when we, when we wrote the check to buy the house, all of a sudden there was nothing left in our bank account. And we were like, wait a second, what's going on? So we had so many entities and companies, money would shift back and forth. And, and that was when I realized, oh my gosh, I've, we've, we've run through our money. And so, yeah, it wasn't market driven. It was overhead driven. Um, because I didn't, I, when we weren't able to buy houses anymore, we were still trying every day. Did you, and did you shut down the company? At that point, I pretty much, um, it, it was, it was like doing 2007 all over again. I pretty much shut down the company and then started redoing my business with me and just a couple people being the only performers. And then we kept trying to, to reinvent ourselves again, to figure out where we were going to find our next area. So it was no longer competitive in California. 
the I read four hour work week and I did read you clean, the, did you what you do with all the house did you clean all the houses off or did you just give them back to the bank those ones were all flips and so um, so we didn't have to give anything back to the bank we didn't get any foreclosures done okay. against us it was really so just you cleaned it up you walked away right yeah and then you started to do it again just you small size yes started to do it again just me and it was trying to use, it was using the principles of like four hour work week and miracle morning of going, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to cram my work, my office work into, you know, four hours a week, do that all in the morning. And then in the afternoons go out and do, uh, and try to do the, the jobs of many people. So it was, how could we do the same thing? And then luckily, like, uh, beginning of 2015, we started to find some other markets and other States where we could be competitive again and, and started to build it up almost the exact same way. And, um, you know, where we started to get a couple houses at, at auction, we started to flip them, the flips went well. And the, and the long story short today, like we're buying a lot of houses again at auction. So I bought 15 houses last week in one day. Um, <laughs> we're, we're hoping to get 30 this month. And so we're hitting the same numbers that and we wait hit. Wait a minute, and this, is, and this is in Austin, Texas? So a lot of it's in Austin. We're in Austin, we're in Mississippi and Arizona. And so but you yeah. live in California. You're yeah. buying in these other states. And why are you buying in these other states? What's attracting you to I mean, I know Austin is hot, and that would almost be a reason not to buy there in my mind. What what makes you think it's still a good flip? Well, my business is still trying to be where other people aren't and try to I try I don't like to compete with people. And so isn't Austin like isn't every Yeah. So everybody's in Austin trying to buy houses, but trustee sales, like courthouse step purchases are still very complicated. And so the, so that's where I spend my time. So there aren't a lot of people on the courthouse steps in Austin buying houses. So there's because like a barrier to entry of knowledge and technique, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to go to auction, you have to, you have to drive by 500 houses, do title reports on and comps on 500 houses, and then you show up ready to buy whichever one's come out with an opening bid. And so to buy those 15, you've got to work on a lot of them. And so that's still really, so most of the people in Austin, they go, hey, we can, we can get deals with their existing businesses through MLS and auctions only one day a month down there. And so most of the people down there do, uh, you know, they, they run their real estate businesses in other ways. So there's a lot of barriers to entry at auction that's just really difficult to do. And, you're, and uh, what's your target? Like what's your target price that you try to buy? You know, our average house price right now is probably like 120,000. We try to buy them between 70 and 80% of retail. Okay. You're buying stuff that you see on that flipping houses TV show that my wife is obsessed with in Waco, <laughs> Texas, right? That thing. Yeah. That is kind of like your typical house that that you do. They buy houses yeah. for like 100 grand, 80 grand, 110 and then, you know, put money into them, so yeah. yeah, and we don't pit, we don't put as much money into them as those flipping houses shows. I mean the the lesson that I learned last time was I flipped a thousand houses and I had one bad year, so I pretty much lost it all. And so now my now my goal is to get a thousand houses, but to keep them all as rentals instead. And so the so our big goal right now is to get to a thousand single family rentals, and so we don't have to rehab. <laughs> okay, so that up. that's really cool. So so how many do you have? So we've got a couple hundred right now. That, that, that you just rent out? Yeah. You and how many people? Um, so the I have a, I have an investor. I have one partner in my business where he manages the, the finances and I run the operations. 
employees right now, the funny thing is we're doing the same amount of volume we used to, but our overhead, we're only at like four or five true employees right now. And, but these and are all, right, on the hold, I mean, they're all like managers, management people, right? Yeah. So like for to manage our property management in Texas, it's uh, our, our gal out in California is the one that takes the calls and does the... The, you know the, the money and the leases and then our people that are on site in Texas are our construction our construction guys wow and and so how many but how many houses do you guys have you have 200 you said yeah and there's and so, how and there's how many of you that like what percentage of that portfolio does Aaron own so the the way so the way we do it is we buy them with with investors and lines of credit and then when we get it up to a certain uh, amount, we end up refinancing it, and our goal is that we pay back our original investors with like a. They end up getting like a twelve to fifteen percent return. So you're getting like big commercial loans against like fifty houses. Yes. So like, so our, our last one, we like we bought a certain amount of houses. We got it up to about four million dollars of the houses. Then we refinanced it, and so that's the point where we really get our ownership. So right now we've probably got fifty houses that have bought specifically with investor funds and lines of credit that that JJ and I signed for. And then once we go to refinance that, the goal is then we'll get a long, you know, 10-year term finance. And if we can pay back all the investors, then we'll end up owning all the houses, but they'll have heavy leverage on them, you know, 85% leverage. Mm -hmm. Or if we're shy of being able to pay off the investors, then the then the percentage the percentage goes that way. But as long as we buy them right and get them performing well. Yeah. Then, and the yeah. longer the term, the better. So, you know, just keep that in mind. You want the longest yes, term possible on that, on that, yeah. All right, cool, man. Well, that was more than a five-minute uh, introduction, <laughs> but it was extremely fascinating. So, and and it's my fault. I I wanted to hear every second of that. You've got a you got a book there to write uh, in your near future. I can tell. So, um, so okay. So we know where you're at now, Aaron. Where do you want to be in ten years? So the in ten years, my oldest daughter is going to be twenty. You know, and I think when I so when I picture what life's like in ten years, I hope that my kids still want to hang out with me. You know, the so right now a lot of our life is with creating adventures with them, traveling, um, trying to uh, to really create this awesome family unit. So I hope in ten years they still want to hang out with us, go on trips. You know, when I was eighteen, that's when I was ready to leave the house and go off and, <laughs> and got myself in a bunch of trouble. So that's. One of my 10-year goals. <laughs> you got motivation there, right? Yeah. 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 I and like it. We want to do like a you know, year-long road trip in an RV and kind of see every, every state. We're trying to go to a couple new countries a year. And really, by then, I hope to not be working too much you know, and really try to have you know, no regrets, I guess. is I, I heard Osborne in a podcast, I don't know, maybe six months ago. And the question was, uh, if you died tomorrow, what would you be disappointed with? And his answer got to be, well, he's had a pretty good run. Mm -hmm. And you know, he, he's got to really experience life and grab life big. So I'm hoping that 10 years from now, I'll be able to say the same thing, that we've done so much stuff with my family and with my kids and really like gone all out yeah. uh, that I'll have no regrets. That's awesome. I like that answer. Yeah, Saul Z. Did you get to meet Saul at Whistler? Yeah, I got to meet Saul and Whistler, and I actually got to meet him in Orlando uh, okay. last year. Him and his wife and three kids just got back from Mexico for three weeks in a school bus, a yellow school bus. Uh, oh, they, wow. they hired a driver 
there was a Mexican guy that you know knew the back lands and all that stuff and knew where to go, and they went all around Mexico in his school bus. You should uh, you should talk to him about that. So yeah, that RV trip. A lot of people mentioned that so far. Everybody in GoBundance who's mentioned that, by the way. If it's on your bucket list, you're a false prophet because I have not met anyone to do that yet. So, Aaron, maybe you could show some of these other chumps that uh, <laughs> you're walking your talk there and uh, doing the RV. I think it's a great idea. You know, I, I know Swagger did it uh, with his kids in, Ca- I think, all through California, which was cool. And it was like two weeks. But the, the year thing or the couple of months or the summer thing, no one's done yet. So. Yeah, definitely do that. Okay, so let's talk about the pillars, right? You got your six pillars. What would you say, Aaron, is the pillar that you suck at? Would it be age-defying health, horizontal income, genuine contribution, relationships, accountability, or bucket list items? You know, the really, my last year go abundance, so much those have just been turned on overdrive. But the, the thing that I'm still probably the furthest behind on of where I want to be is the age-defined health portion, and the you know, and and the GoBundance guys have really started to to help with that. Like I signed up to do the 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 seventy point three Ironman with the, with the guys. Oh, after. no kidding! Yeah, so three or four members called me out on that. Wait a minute, so, didn't you lose a bunch of weight for that too? Is- the, yeah, I, I didn't have I didn't end up losing too. I I have lost some weight for it, but the the tougher part is just getting physically fit to be able okay. to yeah, to, to do stuff to endure it. Yeah. Yeah, so the so that's where I'm the furthest behind on, but but right now I'm spending a lot of time on it, and it's thanks thank, thanks to the Go Abundance guys that reached out and told me, hey, you got to do this with us, and that encouraged me when I'm training and that sort of stuff. That's awesome. What's the date on that? April, right? Uh, May May fifth, May fourth or fifth. I'd love to get a film crew out there and film you guys. That would uh, you know that, the, that, would, that would be a good little show to watch. You know, it is so awesome too, Pat, <laughs> because Aaron has got these uh, Go Abundance like jerseys. So we full on have you know six pillar racing you know jerseys where they got go abundance all over them. It's it's the the green and black color. So we're gonna recognize that. We're gonna look like the go abundance racing team out there. I, I think that's 20, awesome. At least twenty guys have signed up to be there. That's amazing. That's that's amazing. Uh, well, that's gonna be a good show. Okay, so which would you say your best pillar is? So the, you know the. Bucket list adventures over the last year, I've gone from being an adventure hater like a year ago to now every month, my family and I were gone for two or three weeks out of the month. We're going all over the place. I'm going on every GoBundance event. So I feel like I'm doing really well there. And then horizontal income, even though I'm still, I've still got a ways to go to be a hundred percenter, the way I have my business organized is really like, you know, four to six hours a week of work. So that that kind of feels like horizontal income, even though it's not there. So I'm getting to do a lot of life right now without having to put in a whole lot of hours to, to make money. And so that's, that's one of the things we're really proud of right now, I think. That's great. Well, good for you. Good for you. And, and you won't regret that. That's for sure. You'll never regret that. So what brings Aaron joy? Yeah, the, our big answer right now is just family. The the I've got I've got three daughters, ten, seven, and six, and I have a new boy that's a year old. And um, you know, my wife pulled him out of school so we could go experience more as a family. And so, oh like, wow, that's cool. So tell me about that. So she's homeschooling them. Yeah, so she's homeschooling them, and so we started last year, kind of pulling them out of school for a week, and then going to school for three weeks, and then. Um, and that gradually turned into two weeks on, two weeks off. And then the beginning of this year, she said, you know what? There's, we can live a lot more life 
if we're, uh, you know, the four-hour work week is what I pitch to people for work. And so we wanted to figure out how we could apply that to their school also. So they do, you know, one hour of heavy schoolwork a day, like real focus, math, English, reading. Um, they've already gotten, pat, you know, they've already gone up a grade essentially in their math and their reading. So with one hour of like focus one-on-one -on -one time, uh, they've really started to excel. And then the rest of the day, we get to go do fun stuff like go to museums and go, you know, go do field trips and, and stuff all the time. So the, my wife's been pretty amazing at kind of taking that on and figuring out what resources are out there for it. But it's allowed us to, you know, when we went up to Whistler, we ended up being in Canada for almost three weeks as a family afterward because we did, we got to do Go Abundance and then we went to Vancouver. And so by her being willing to homeschool them, we feel, and uh, and really embrace it that way. We feel like they're they're a lot happier because their schoolwork is more focused. Now they're in their free time when they want to learn. It's something they really want to work on, and then it gives us an opportunity for them to see like their book work. They're not falling behind in, but now they get to see museums in every you know in different countries and different states and cities and and all sorts of extra education. Or when we go to Yosemite and we learn from rangers and stuff, there's. Um, there's all sorts of extra stuff they get. Yeah, yeah. Presidential libraries are an awesome exactly. thing to start taking kids to. Yeah, though that's that's great. I love that. Good stuff. Okay, so what would you say the best vacation you've ever taken is? Yeah, I'm I'm still pretty new at the vacation thing. So uh, prior to like a year ago, we had only gone to Hawaii. All right. And so once a year we go to Hawaii. In the last year, we did a trip where we went to Miami and the, and Philly with the kids. Uh, we did in December. We did a three and a half week. Uh, trip where we went to all three of the Hawaiian islands and saw some volcanoes, then flew from there to Arizona, there to San Diego and their home. So the, you know, and then Vancouver for a few, I think my most fun one was our recent one though, where we went to uh, all the Hawaiian islands. We got to do some activity stuff. Like we rode a bike to go see the lava coming out of the volcano into the water. Nice. Uh, uh, combined it with some work trips in the middle of it. So we really got to try to embrace this new lifestyle prepping for that one year trip where I did some work, plus we did a lot of vacationing, and they did homeschool every day. So it was like, could we really live on the road, you know, along with all that? And so that was probably my favorite so far. Well, you, you know, you're certainly learning how to live on the road, which is awesome. So you'll be the first one to do this uh, RV <laughs> thing, it sounds like. Uh, so what do you got planned in the future? Like, what, uh, what sort of bucket list items on your 100 uh, item list like what were, what are your top five you know uh, a new one that I kind of came up with I think is pretty unique over the last year is I want to I want to be in the back room of a kitchen watching an executive chef at, at, a, at a five star restaurant on one of their busy crazy nights so I there's I've seen these different you know movies and TV shows where in the back it's like really intense and stuff's getting thrown all over the place and the I want to see if it's really if it's really like that if it's really that intense on a on a <laughs> probably on a, not yeah on a big night at one of those because on the on TV it makes it look like this is this crazy intense thing so that's something I want to I do. mean it's probably you know intense but it's probably more angry intense I've worked at a bunch of restaurants when I was younger and all reality is bullshit now I mean that's <laughs> it's ridiculous how um I've talked to several people on reality TV shows and they say it's it's completely staged. Uh, yeah, everything you everything. See. but yeah, that's a good one. Okay, what else you got? That's that's a unique one. You know, and I've got some that are pretty normal. I mean, my cross country road trip, a European vacation for a couple months, uh, South American pyramids. Uh, you know, with the family and with the kids. My oldest daughter's really learning a lot about the Incans and, and things like that right now, and so that's some of those places I want to go. A cool one I'm going to steal from David Law, Law, Lauber is uh, 
you know, going to the World Series of Poker and you know, playing in the in the big World Series of Poker. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, giving that one a try. I, I heard that one in, in Whistler, and I was like, that is a great one to be adding. So those are, yeah, I think those are some of the big, big bucket list ones right now. Good, good. All right. What was the most brilliant day of your life? I love that question because you try to figure out, like, is it the day you walk out of prison and you go, oh, my gosh, this is behind me. And I, and I did it and I'm alive. Or is it the, you know, the biggest life-changing day wasn't that. But my biggest life-changing day was that day my, my second daughter was born early and I was so terrified thinking she was going to die. And, and, I was, and, and just having that epiphany going, okay, this is the big moment where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit my job. I'm going to go for it and I'm really going to go all out for the family. And that was, that was the biggest like, life-changing moment day that we always go, well, when did you start your business? And I know that day was the day I started my business. Yeah. You know, they call that S-E-E, I think I heard a psychologist describe this, S-E-E, significant emotional experience. And they talk about like, you know, it's it's like one of uh, three ways that people can drastically change. Number one is, you know, they're forced to change, right? They're put on a deserted island and they're, you know, they have to eat differently. The second is like they have constant and continual practice you know of, of you know every day they remind themselves they write it down you know like the miracle morning but you're you're telling yourself this is your goal every single day and doing the steps you know one day at a time like alcoholics anonymous right it's that's the whole key to alcoholics anonymous is one day at a time right just one day that's the other way and the last one is significant emotional experience and that's when like to go back to say weight loss like you're 100 pounds overweight your twin brother's 100 pounds overweight. Your twin brother has a heart attack and dies. You're like, oh, crap. I don't want to die. You lose 100 pounds. So, you know, that's a significant emotional experience. So your daughter being born and you thinking she's going to die was probably that, that third one, that S-E-E that said, you know, today is the day. No more. And it stuck. Yeah. That's a that's a great way to define that because it definitely was the I mean we remember everything about that day and about and about and about that whole whole purpose and then feeling like years later it was so meant to be but yeah that significant emotional experience that is what gave me the strength to go because there's so because if you're going to quit a job that you've been working for several years at a time when you don't really know when you're still not really doing well financially it's uh, I needed something like that to really kick in so significant emotional experience that's definitely what that was. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, that's good. Okay, so let's take something from the uh, GoBundance app. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> All right, Aaron. If you were a living angel insomniac, you got this? A living angel insomniac. Okay. Where would you be found and what would you be doing? Wow, if I could do anything I wanted and I couldn't sleep, and where would I be hanging out? And you were an angel. So, you know, angels do good. You know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. you have power to make whatever you're doing better. Does that make sense? You're an yeah, angel. Yeah. You're so, an angel. You know, I would spend a lot of time, you know, in some, some of the big cities around here and, and just about everywhere I've been, homelessness is this crazy, crazy thing. And the, and it's freaking, you see, you see bad stuff. You see, I mean, yesterday we, 
So, you know, we went out and did a project for the homeless and you see, you know, kids sleeping on the streets and people sleeping on the streets. There's so much need there, I think, of encouragement that people need. And it's such a problem that just sucks because there's abandoned houses everywhere and then people without housing and, and all that. That's a whole different conversation. But I would spend a lot of time trying to inspire and, and help people that way. Uh, you know, so some of the homeless camps that are in the middle of the cities. That's great. That uh, you answered it direct, right? You know, one of my bucket list items is to spend a night on Skid Row. Oh wow! You know, and I'm not saying necessarily sleep, right? Because you know, you don't want to get jumped or something. But if anyone yeah. listening wants to do that, I mean, I mean, I, you know, just trying to help people or, or hanging out, talking to people, or you know, yeah. So, anyways, that's you know something similar. You know, how I love people, that. Yeah. I, I love that as a bucket list item because that is such a. Um, because when it talks about like wondering what it's like and whether it's whether it's helping or that or really experiencing you know, you know so many so many times bucket list items are like the highs of the highs, but being able to experience someone else's lows or the lows to either keep you grateful or be able to help like that's that's a totally different way to look at bucket list items. I, I love that. So I'm gonna hit you with another one because because you're so good at this and <laughs> a lot of your answers you know, I've answered some of these other questions and I'm like, well, you know, rather than repeat ourselves. So describe your first, your first intimate experience. Oh my goodness. My first intimate experience. Well, I'm going to take that for just the, the literal meaning of with a girl. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I remember, yeah, no. yeah, so probably, you know, I was like, 11 or 12 years old you know the going to a movie with a girl and 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 holding her hand and just the amount of stress of not wanting to to do do something wrong and going in for a kiss and having her turn away and 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 not let me kiss her and and as a kid when that's your biggest fear for you're doing something like that man that was uh I it, it is funny I still I still remember it now as a sickening feeling when it's so many years later. So that's Yeah, I, really. Yeah, I, so that that was a significant emotional experience getting rejected. Yes. Yeah, you know, you went in, you went in for a kiss and she just she just turned her face, huh? Yeah, it was like, "No, I we can <laughs> we can go to a movie, but that's it." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you took a probably a year off after that. You're like, "Screw this, you know." Oh yeah, I, I was never I was never the aggressor again in my life after that when it came. <laughs> That's funny. Here's here's a cool one. What did you want to be when you grew up? When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? And and how are you similar to that now? You know, the when I was really young, I really loved. I wanted to be an Air, Air Force pilot, right? So the I grew up in the days of watching Top Gun, and the and so jets were my thing, and so I I, I always wanted to do that. I wanted to uh, you know to, to go do that in my life, and the and somewhere I had a bad wrestling injury late in high school that that took me out of the chances to go join the air force or the military and who and i would have been horrible at that anyway because years later i realized i had a, a huge fear of flying for several years but uh, <laughs> but what, what but what do i do now that does that you know it's such a dramatic thing of intensity that i'm probably just now starting to actually like push my fears and like doing some intense fast stuff but but most of my life is not like that. Well, no, here I think you're missing it. I think that yeah, you wanted to be a jet fighter or, or you wanted to fly jets, but the the underlying reason might not necessarily been because you wanted an adrenaline rush. The underlying reason might have been you just wanted to see the world or you wanted to go places. You didn't want to stay still. 
You know what I mean? And so you're doing that now. You know, you're going places. You're not staying still. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, there's, it, I think so there's probably a lot of that, uh, of what's going on now. And then the other part of it, of probably why I wanted to do that is I wanted to do something significant with my life, like something that would be memorable that would, that would create some sort of a legacy. And when I saw, uh, when I thought of that as a kid, it was, uh, it wasn't just, a, you know, it was like this kind of famous role where you're saving the world and, and trying to do, do big things that way. And so, um, so I feel like I'm starting to figure out other ways to, uh, you know, to create my legacy and to do good and try to, you know, try to help lots of people in a memorable way, uh, even when it's a little bit scary and, and putting myself on the line. So I think that's probably, I think, I think, you know, going places and doing things and then trying to do something with significance was probably, uh, where that came from. That's awesome, buddy. That's awesome. You know, the one thing I didn't ask is, um, what I asked the other guys was, uh, you know, the nitty gritty, right? So what would you say, what is your net worth right now, Aaron? I'm at about two and a half million right now. Okay. And what is your horizontal income? Doesn't include like a salary from your company or anything like that. What of these rentals and things like that, what's paying you sideways? How much are you getting paying sideways? The, now I'm going to pull up my sheet. So 2016 was 139,000 uh, in horizontal income. So the, uh, and that mostly comes from a couple apartment complexes that I got. And then part of it's through our rentals, through our single family rentals. And through 2017, you know, 2017, my goal is that I'm going to get up to $300,000 a year in horizontal. Jeez, you're going to really blast it out. So tell you're going from 10 grand a month to 25 grand a month. Yeah, that's the one of that. That's the goal. One of them is I have this apartment complex that got abandoned. That's pretty giant. If I get that performing by the end of the year, that should take so care when, of. So when you when you bought it, it was completely empty. Yeah, it, it's a 144 unit complex. Holy dirt! Where's that? In Jackson, Mississippi. Wow, yeah, I bought one of those with Andrew Cushman, and um, it was 40 percent occupied, and it was unreal. Uh, walking through there because the doors were left open and the windows are left open and it's like something in a movie you know what i mean it's like it's like oh well why shut the doors people are just going to go in there and hang out and you know yeah. squat and and every, it, it was it was weird but we totally turned it around so it's it, you can definitely do it i mean that's kind of fun was that surreal when you looked at it 140 units completely vacant yeah, it was. You know, I I had done a project. I had I had repl- I had taken a forty percenter to to recovery in Texas, and that was kind of my experience with really distressed stuff to good. But this was a whole different level. So when we first walked through there, you know, the grass was three feet high, and me and the security guards would take turns on who was walking first because one of them had gotten bit by a water moccasin out there. And so we're walking through the grass, and there's deer running in and out of the units. You know, jumping out the back windows and the doors. There's beehives in like 10 of the units where the units are just like a, a giant beehive inside them. So just, you know, millions of bees as you'd open up the doors. So it's, it is like just the strangest like zombie wasteland. So you yeah. take a, it, it, when you walk away from a, prop, a project for five years, the oak trees had picked up some stairways. So there was like some concrete stairways that are like <laughs> up in the tree, you know, like 10 feet up in the air instead of attached to the apartment anymore. So it was, it was very wild, very wild. Yeah, it's it's crazy. You don't think about it. I mean, there's there's a show on TV. I can't think of the name of it right now. Where they go to vacant uh, malls across the United States. You know, they find these vacant malls, and there's tons of them, and we don't realize it. You know, sitting at home in front of our TV. But 
there's these vacant malls have been vacant like 10 years and they'll go in them and they'll bring them the film crew in them and it's crazy i forget what it's called wasteland or something like vacancy or something like that and anyways it's a nice check to reality when you see that stuff you know capitalism has a dark side and you know somebody lost all their money on that deal you know so oh yeah so you know no, the, the one the one i got hit it appraised for five million bucks just a few you know just like four or five years prior and then it gets and then by the end of it it's empty somebody lost out good and then you see the gap between like homelessness and you know, poverty and struggle and then all these empty complexes that nobody cared about anymore. Yeah. Very cool. Well, listen, buddy, I really appreciate you coming on the show. This has been extremely candid. Thank you for uh, you know being so transparent and wide open, and we really appreciate you and, and uh, look forward to seeing you at the uh, next GoBundance event. Yeah, right on, man. Look forward to seeing you too, Pat. And the and, and thanks for thanks for taking the time to listen. And the happy to uh, everybody I've met in GoBundance has been so awesome. So happy to be able to share a little bit more about myself with them. So beautiful, brother. All right, man. Have a great day. All right, talk I'll to you later. You, Bye.